talks about the seed and the sower, and it talks about how the, the enemy tries to steal the seed. So we agree right now that we bind the enemy away from the Word of God and the yeah. seed, that this is going to go forth and it's going to land on good fertile soil. It will not return void, as the Bible says. It will go forth and accomplish that which it has been sent forth to do. It will be implanted into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, watered by the Spirit, and it will take, grow, take root and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. And Lord, I ask you by your Spirit to lock us into what you're speaking tonight. Help us to get everything out of this. That your will to be done. Lord, I pray for retention. That what normally would be having to hear something multiple times, that we'll be able to really retain this tonight. And we'll really be able to grasp and understand the depth of what the Holy Spirit is speaking. And this will really have a lasting impression on us and help us to remember it for, for years to come as it's going to unfold over the next several years. So, Lord, we thank you for it. We thank you for everything being accomplished through the word that your will to be done. In a mighty anointing, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. I'm just going to go ahead and jump into this. A few things. You know, 2 Timothy 3.5 was originally going to be my anchor text, but... Second Timothy three five talks about having a form of godliness, but denying the power of God. Now, how many knows there's a lot of places out there that have a form of godliness, a form of religion that you know? I mean, it seems real spiritual, but in reality, there's no power. As the saying goes, if you gathered up all their power that they have, like dynamite, it all blew up at one time. It wouldn't be enough to blow their nose good. Okay. <laughs> And that's not a good thing because the Bible says in Acts 1.8, when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon us, we, we will have power. You know, I'm, I'm all about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There's a clothing of power. There's a prayer language. I believe in that doctrinally. I do. But the emphasis Jesus put was not on tongues, really. Now, it's important. Tongues are important. I'm not taking away from tongues. But the emphasis that Jesus put was, he said, wait in Jerusalem, Luke 24.49, wait in Jerusalem till you be clothed with power. Acts 1.8, it's not if you know the times or seasons. I'm leaving all that. The Father knows, but he said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, empower. So Jesus kept putting the emphasis on the clothing of power. You need to be empowered to do what you're going to do. And Jesus himself did not even begin his ministry as the Son of God until he was baptized in the River Jordan and the Holy Spirit came upon him. When the Holy Spirit rested on him, not necessarily that a bird came down, a lot of people imagine that, but it says like a dove. When a dove lands, a dove lands gently. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus gently like a dove would, but it was a clothing of power. And then when Jesus, the Holy Spirit had come upon him, we know he went out in the wilderness. But what does it say when he came out of the wilderness? It says he came out in the power of the Spirit. And the first thing Jesus did when he went into the temple, his very first sermon, the first thing he ever did once he came out of the wilderness and started his ministry was he, he opened the scroll and he read the part of Isaiah that says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up and heal the brokenhearted, set people free. And he talked about the Spirit of the Lord anointing him. In the Bible, when it talks about Jesus, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil. So the emphasis was that we need the power of God in our lives. Okay? So just laying that down as some groundwork that I'm going to go to that a couple times and reference that scripture. I'm going to give you about four scriptures I'm going to reference. I want you to remember these. Now this is a big one in my text today. Philippians 2.21. This is one of the more 
In my opinion, this is one of the saddest scriptures in the New Testament. I want you to really hear the scripture. There's a lot of people gloss over this. They read Philippians, and there's a lot of scriptures they quote, but they don't quote this one. But listen to what it says. Paul said, For the others all seek to advance their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now let me paraphrase that for you. Everybody seeks their own interests, not the interest of Jesus. They're about themselves. Now I'm really going to stay on that scripture a lot tonight, okay? So I want you to remember that. Just paraphrasing that. Everybody else seems to just seek what's best for them. Not living for the Lord and what His interests are. Just their own personal interests. Alright, the third scripture I want to just reference and and come back to later is this. Uh, Revelation 3.15, I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. But because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spew you or vomit you out of my mouth. For you say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Just in that, I want you just to remember this. Because they're lukewarm, Jesus will vomit them out of his mouth. And then the last scripture I want to use as an anchor text is this. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And the word bewitched there is actual witchcraft. It's, it's, it's a spell on their mind. Who has, has bewitched your mind and got you away from the truth? Okay, so here's the four scriptures again. There's people that have a form of godliness but deny the power. Number two, people seek their own interests, not the interests of the Lord. Number three, because people have grown lukewarm, the Lord's going to vomit them out of his mouth. And number four, some people have been bewitched. Something has, has, has put a spell on their mind, and that's what it says in the Greek. Look it up. It's put a spell on their mind, <coughs> bewitchment, and it has caused them to, to start being deceived. In context, the Galatian church began to go back to Judaism and pull away from Christianity. Pull away from the, the things of the Spirit. And Paul said, who has bewitched you? Who's put a spell on you? Who's messed with your mind, spiritually speaking, that you've become deceived and gotten away from the truth? okay we get a little deep tonight talk about some spiritual warfare I, I believe I got a mature crowd so I'm just going to really lay into this okay I'm concerned about some things I see I'm going to tell you this is a prophetic sermon over the next several years I'm dealing with the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex and things that I see but not only that I do believe I'm going to be dealing with religious witchcraft I do believe that this affects a lot of other places in our nation and around the world so people that are hearing this sermon, you can probably apply this to some degree where you live and things that you see around you. I believe this is a, a last day stronghold, but it's definitely strong in Dallas. Let me tell you some things. Right now, America, God is allowing... See, America is not an end-time prophecy. and God is allowing... There's been hundreds of thousands of people that are praying and fasting for our nation, but God's allowing America to be pulled down from being the the world's superpower. I've already preached on the end time, so I'm not going to go back into it too much, but He's allowing America to be pulled down off the world scene. And the reason why is because America would stand in the way 
of a lot of the end time prophecies being fulfilled, some of these wars that are coming. America would get right in the middle of it and try to stop it. You know that we would. And so for end time prophecy to be fulfilled, how many knows that it will be fulfilled whether we like it or not? We may hate some of it, you know, but it still will be fulfilled whether we like it or not. So end time prophecy is being fulfilled. America is being pulled down from the world scene so that these different events that are prophesied in the Bible, especially wars with Russia, Turkey, the Middle East, those type of wars and things like that will take place. They have to take place. The Bible says they will. Okay. But at the same time, God is not through with America and God is sending a mighty, mighty revival that has already begun. It began in Pensacola, Florida, and it's, it's on a low level right now, but it is, it is sweeping throughout the nation. And when, I want you to hear all this, when America is fully ablaze in the fires of revival, which could be over the next couple of decades, I don't know how it's going to unfold. I don't know the timing. But when it's fully ablaze, the, the, the prophets have seen that Dallas would be the hub. Now, I said all that because there's a preparation that God's having to do in Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex for that prophecy to be fulfilled. So while revival is, is at a very much an infancy stage, it, it's on a low key right now, but it's still infiltrating, it's going throughout the nation, especially the Bay of the Holy Spirit revival is, is going from place to place and depositing the anointing. But while that's going on, God's going to have to deal with something in this area. And this is what I'm going to preach on today, okay? There's a satanic stronghold. And there's a structure that the enemy has set up in this region. And God's about to deal with it. I'm going to make this real clear. I want everybody to hear me real good about this. I believe that the days of God giving us space to repent are coming to a close. People that refuse to repent, as I go through this, you'll see the things I'm talking about. They refuse to repent. When this structure comes crashing down, and it will, they're going to come down with it. But it's not because the Lord doesn't love them. It's because they've built their ministry and their life in covenant with religious witchcraft. And when God judges that, they're going to be pulled down with it because they haven't repented. But God's about to, I'm telling you prophetically, I know it just as much as I'm standing here, God's about to blast that stronghold, and I believe it's already begun. There's angels that I see strategically in places. God is about to hit that satanic structure very hard. I don't know how long it's going to take for it to topple. It could take years. I don't know. But it's beginning. God's about to expose corruption people that are in positions of power and influence in the body of Christ in this region, but they're corrupt. They've built it on politics, things they shouldn't have built it on. They're going to, one way or another, they're going to be pulled down. I'm just telling you. And whether people like it or not, it's already begun. And it's, it's not going to stop. It's already set in motion. And if I, these people better repent quickly because they're liable to lose a lot. Some people have built their whole reputation, their whole ministry on politics and man-pleasing, everything that you shouldn't be building it on. They sought their own interest, not the interest of the Lord. And literally, they built their house, so to speak, on sand. And when the storms come of judgment, everything that can be shaken will be shaken, and down they go. So over the next couple of years, there's going to be a radical change. 
I, I shouldn't put too much of a time frame because God hasn't told me a time, but I believe over the next two to five years, we're, this is just my opinion about the timing, but I feel like we'll see some things unfold. But I really, I know that this has begun. It's already begun, and it's going to be thorough. And when God's through, he's going to prepare things for this revival, for this place to be a hub. But he's got a clean house, amen? I had a dream. I'm just going to move with the Holy Spirit about the how I'm going to share some of this, okay? I had a dream back in 2004, a prophetic dream. I woke up. It was very real to me, and I still remember it to this day. And prophetically, it has to do with the things I'm talking about. In the dream, and I'm going to explain it. Dreams are very symbolic, so just bear with me. I was in this skyscraper, and I was on the top floor. And I was up there, and I was by myself. I was praying. I was worshiping. And it was just like this. It was quite large. It was just a large room, and I was totally by myself. And there was a lot of glass windows, so I could see out of it from every direction. But as I was facing forward, in front of me, in front of this skyscraper was an ocean. And so it was, it was like beachfront property. And I remember that there was this NASA rocket that was taking off, and you could see it. I mean, it was just right there. The building was kind of rumbling. It was really awesome because you were right there at it. And as the NASA rocket was taking off, there was two of these rocket boosters one of them came off the side and fell into the ocean. And then the other one came off and shot into the building. And it hit the building right in the middle. And it reminded me of like the 9-11 type of where it struck in the middle of this huge building. And I remember when it struck the building, I had absolutely no fear at all. In fact, it was almost like I was at total peace that it was happening. Like it was supposed to happen. It was weird. And... But whenever it struck the building, I heard a blood-curdling scream from some woman that knew she was about to die. And I remember that the scream was really, it caught my attention, obviously, and I turned. And there was a woman that was on a lower level, on a balcony, that was just out there sunbathing and just relaxing like nothing was going on. But when the building got struck, she knew that as that building was collapsing, she knew she was going to die. Now, I knew that I wasn't going to die in the dream. I was very much at peace. The building was collapsing forward into the ocean. And while it was going down, the rocket was already lifted. While it was going down, I had positioned myself because as soon as the water hit the glass and broke it open, I was going to dive into the water because I was on the top floor. I was going to try to move as far as I could forward on the other side of the building and then come up. So I was ready, and as soon as, as soon as the water broke the glass, I took a deep breath and dove in, and I was swimming under the water, and debris, I mean huge pieces of this building were coming down all around me. And I was swimming as fast as I could, and I, and I got on the other side of the building, and I came up. Well, what happened was, the building had collapsed, and it was totally destroyed, but it's because it hit the ocean with such force that it created a tsunami. And so as I had come up out of this thing... I was actually caught in this tsunami. So I was being lifted way up and propelled by the tsunami. And in the dream, it's a dream, it's kind of funny, but my arms in the dream, I was moving my arms in such a way as to stay in perfect tandem with that tsunami. Like I wasn't veering off to the left or the right, I wasn't sinking, I wasn't overshooting it. My arms were moving just right. And as I was focused, other people were popping up to my right and left and were watching me what I was doing. 
And then they would mimic what I was doing and pulling in beside me. Eventually, the tsunami came to an end, and there was this raft that was waiting for us. It was just like a little um, rubber boat that had, it, it reminds me of something that special ops would use, maybe on a mission, a covert type mission. It was small, would hold maybe maybe a dozen people, and it had a little engine on it, and you know it was just this little rubber raft. And we got into it, and we took off, and as we got on the other side of the ocean, wherever we were... Um, we were at Pensacola Beach because I recognized that tower that they have there on the beach because I've been there many times. And so I knew where we were and I, and I knew that I knew people there. And so I got the people that had followed me. I didn't even know who these people were. They had just, they, they were caught in the tsunami like me. They were kind of coming alongside me. What are we going to do type of thing? So I was like, okay, so I took them and we got a hotel room and I woke up. But in the dream, let me explain to you what the dream means. What the dream means is this. The building, and I probably should explain this at some point too, but the building is the satanic stronghold that's in this region of religious witchcraft. The woman that was there were those that operate in religious witchcraft. That's what they based their ministry and all that on. That was what the woman represented. The rocket that took off is revival. But as revival is, is taking off, it's releasing judgment. God's cleaning house. And, and one rocket fell into the ocean, which judges the world. The other one struck this building. It struck the religious witchcraft stronghold. It struck it. And people that aligned themselves with it and were comfortable in it, they perished. They were pulled down in the dream. But those of us that were against it, it actually created a tsunami wave of revival. You see what I'm saying? As the building came crashing down and was annihilated, the result of that was a wave of revival came thrusting up and we caught that wave and rode it. And the Lord showed me that dream back in 2004. Now I believe that we're starting to move into that. God is about to judge this stronghold. Now, I'm going to try to explain it as I go. I'm hoping I do a good job. What is religion? Religion is a form of godliness but denies the power. Religion, a religious spirit, is critical, fault-finding, unrighteously judgmental, and debating. Somebody that has a religious spirit is critical of everything. They cannot help but to find fault. It's like they just have a spirit about them. They cannot help it. They go into a place, they have to find something wrong. And if they can't find something, they'll make it up. But they have to find fault. They have to be critical and they have to find fault somewhere. It's just in them. It's a religious spirit. They unrighteously judge what they don't understand. And they want to debate Religious people want to debate, but they are not interested in the truth. They're not interested in hearing something from you that's truth or changing their mind about anything. They're interested in winning the debate. That's it. So you are wasting your breath with most of these people because they are not interested in the truth. They're just interested in fighting with you and somehow trying to make you look stupid and make themselves look correct, even though they're not. That's what they're interested in. And that is all they're interested in. 
I quit messing with them a long time ago. It's a waste of time. The Bible says, don't cast your pearls before swine. That's what it says. Or they'll trample it underfoot and then they'll attack you. And that's exactly what religious people do. So what is witchcraft? Witchcraft is not what a lot of people think it is. Um, it's not, you know, an old lady with a wart on her nose and stirring a cauldron. Okay, what it is, witchcraft in the Bible is control. Okay, it is bent on controlling other people. Galatians 5.19 talks about witchcraft of the flesh. That is people that manipulate and control others. They may try to seduce them. They may try to threaten them. They may try to use violence. But one way or another, they're going to try to bend other people to their will and control them through the flesh. Or it can also not only be of the flesh, it can be a spiritual control where somebody uses the dark arts. They use witchcraft, incantations and spells and things like that to try to put somebody under their control and bend them to their will through the dark arts. Are you following me? So whether it's manipulation by being seductive or, or threatening or whatever, or it is through the dark arts, it is meant to control other people. And God has never been about control. He always gives people free will. God does not operate in witchcraft. The devil tries to force people to do things. God gives people a free choice to do what they choose to do. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a satanic structure that is formed over time through sin that was committed repeatedly and not repented of. For example, you know, there can be a stronghold in a person of maybe like lust or something. There can be a stronghold in a family bloodline where generational curses are there. It could be something like a Jezebel Ahab thing in a family structure. I don't know, whatever it is, but there's a stronghold, just giving you an example. But there can also be a stronghold in a region. Now, a stronghold in a geographic region is where people have continued to sin and they've come into agreement with the devil's kingdom in some way and over time it created a stronghold. In this region, you have a stronghold of religion and witchcraft which has been here for a long time and it is, it is a structure that is set up and the reason why it's there is because a lot of Christians, a lot of pastors, a lot of churches have agreed with it. They've been religious and they've operated in witchcraft and they haven't repented. And because they have not repented, it has formed a stronghold in this region. Does this make sense? I have to explain all this for it to make sense. What is a strong man? A strong man is the ruling spirit over the stronghold. So in this region, it's going to be the principality over this area. And the principality over this area is a fallen angel that has a throne and he rules over that stronghold. A principality is a fallen angel that has geographic authority. It comes from the Greek word arche, where we get architect. It, in other words, the principality, that Satan has principalities all over the world. They rule over various geographic locations, but a principality is the brains. He will send, please hear me, he will send out spirits on reconnaissance. And they will go and they will study 
preachers, they'll study their families, they'll study churches, they study board members. They look for weaknesses, they look for compromise, and then they'll go back and report to the principality what they have seen and heard. The principality then will begin to draw out a satanic attack and how he's, he's working in his mind, how can this be the most effective? He waits for the right time and when the timing is right, he will unleash this attack and the spirits known as powers will carry out the attack. The powers are the muscle. The principality is the brains. He plans it. But the powers carry it out. The Lord spoke to me something in 2006 I'll never forget. He woke me up in the middle of the night. It was like 2 or 3 in the morning. And He spoke to me this. I wrote it down. He said, I'm coming again to a manger... And the wise will seek and find me. And I knew what he meant. I wrote it down. I never forgot it. Now, what does that mean? It means this. The Lord said that he's coming again to a lowly, humble place. But the wise will seek and find him. See, people by and large don't like the manger. Now think about it. One of the greatest events in world history was the coming of the Son of God into the earth. Wouldn't you agree? Why didn't God the Father, why, didn't, why wasn't it planned in the councils of heaven that this would happen in a cathedral, that this would happen in the temple, that this would happen, you know, where horns were blasting, you know, people were singing, oh, he's here, you know, why, why wasn't it like that? Why was it that God chose some, think about it, a manger smells bad there's cow manure okay it is a humble place to say the least jesus was put in a manger a feeding trough there was only a handful of people present this was not something where everybody was singing and wow look at the hundreds of people Marching, here's the Son of God, you know, and everybody's just rejoicing and trumpets blasting, and it's a feast. Let's have a party. It wasn't like that. It was like the Lord came in a very humble, lowly, obscure way. Why? In the world. Not only that, but the only people, besides Mary and Joseph, obviously, the only people that even knew to be there were people that had really humbled themselves and and sought him out. Those wise men knew something was up. And and they they wanted to go what did they want to go do? They said we want to go worship him. We know he's coming. And they humbled themselves down so low that they were willing to travel across half the world on camels to be there. The shepherds humble lowly status in life. The shepherds had an angelic visitation and came. But the point being this, just like Azusa Street, probably outside of Brownsville, Azusa Street was the greatest move of God probably in our nation's history. 
or at least one of them, why in the world would God choose to move in a barn? Azusa Street was not a glorified place. It was a very lowly, humble place. God chose to move among a handful of African-American people, which at that time, what the Jim Crow laws were looked down on. Okay, They were the low class at that time. That's the way it was viewed. He chose to move among a handful of African-American people in a small house and then take it over to this glorified barn where they sat on two-before planks that were nailed to crates. This was a humble place. Why did God choose to do that? Why didn't He come to Azusa Street? Why didn't He come in a cathedral? Why didn't He come in great wealth? My theory is this. Because it never was about this, you know, the stupid manger. It never was about that. It was about Him being there. It never was about Azusa Street. It never was about the building. It never was about any of that. It was about His presence. How many know some people have the cart before the horse? Their mind is all confused. They've made gods and idols out of everything. I'm going somewhere with this. Spiritual poison. Like I said earlier, the Bible says all seek their own, not the interest of the Lord. They seek their own. They have ungodly self-preservation, selfish ambitions. They've made idols and they have a lust for power. They use politics, money, status, reputation, and unholy alliances to get their way. I remember one time during the days of of the great Brownsville revival. Revival was really going strong. And I was working as a youth pastor at a church. And at this church, I really wanted to take my young people there. Because I knew they could receive from God. The church, the youth group was good. But the church was dead like most churches, unfortunately, are. It was dead, and I knew the young people weren't getting a lot out of it. They got a lot out of youth, but I only had them for a short amount of time. And so I wanted to take them someplace I knew that God could really visit their life. Had it planned, fundraised, everything was ready. At the last minute, the last minute, I'm talking like a week before, that the young people had worked their tails off fundraising. The last minute, the pastor comes up to me in the hallway and says, you can't take them. And I said, okay, but why? And he said, because the revival at Brownsville is this particular denomination and we are this particular denomination and therefore we're not going and we're not supporting. Now, I know some of those young people and some of them to this day really aren't doing that great in life. And I have to wonder what would have happened at Brownsville. One of the greatest revivals we've had in American history, what God could have done in their life if I got them there. But because of religious witchcraft, how would you like to have a pastor that operates from religious witchcraft? Because there's a lot of people that do. I'm not trying to be mean. It's about politics. It's about money. And I'm telling you that people have built their ministry and it's all about their own interest. The mentality of a lot of people, you try to unify prayer. It's okay that I just start, I'm start laying into it. You start trying to unify prayer 
in a region, and what you hear from pastors is this, well, what are we going to get out of it? That's what I've heard. It's like, sir, you're not going to get anything out of it. It's not about you getting something out of it. It's about revival. Okay, it's supposed to be about souls being saved. And if we pray, the Bible says that if we pray, God will bring in the harvest. Okay, that's what it's supposed to be about, right? Isn't it supposed to be about these things? Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. It's supposed to be about the lost. The church is supposed to be, Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. The church is supposed to be a house of prayer. The emphasis should be on His presence. But you don't seem to see that with a lot of people. What can we get out of it? How can we benefit? How can we financially gain from this? They don't realize it, but there's people, and I'm saying it as plain as I can, that have come into agreement. This is not an exaggeration. They've come into an agreement with a fallen angel, and they've agreed with those thoughts and those evil ways, those manipulative, controlling ways, those political ways, they've come into agreement with that thing, and they don't realize it, but they've yoked themselves with it, and that's what their ministry is based out of. There's people that whether they mean to or not, I don't know, but they've made some kind of an unholy alliance and a pact with the fallen angel of their region, and they basically said this, I will water down sermons, I'll just preach what people want to hear. And there'll be false converts produced. But just leave me alone, devil. Let me have a big church with a lot of money. And I'll keep doing that if you leave me alone. Whether they mean to or not, whether they consciously really realize that they're doing it or not, they have come into some kind of a pact with the devil. Seriously. Because it's too hard for them to rock the boat and go against the grain. And so they want to pull back, water things down. And how many knows that a principality will listen to that? If a preacher says, you know what, I'll water it down. I'll preach another gospel. You know, I'm not going to offend anybody, produce false converts. How many knows that a principality will say, okay. Go ahead and I'll leave you alone. That doesn't bother me at all. Just go ahead, I'll leave you alone. I have a friend, I'm I'm just telling some stories to make a point about religious witchcraft. I have a friend in this area that was telling me that he does he does different work um, overseas, different parts of the world, and he has connections that God has given him and there was a, a particular denomination that he was a part of at one time and there was a minister that came to him and said so who are you working with overseas and he said so and so so and so you know and they said well are they a part of our denomination he said well no they're not you know he said well don't be surprised if they don't pull your credentials think about it friend you mean tell me that's not witchcraft? He's, he's using a threat to try to intimidate him and control him. If you don't do it the way we want you to do it, it's not about the kingdom. It's not about souls being saved. It's not about the fact that you've got connections over there and all these things are happening. No, none of that matters. If you're not going to politically align yourself with our denomination, then we'll pull your credentials. That's witchcraft. 
that's trying to intimidate him and control him. That is not uncommon. That is very common. Things like that. I had the displeasure of having to defend somebody I really love and care about and I had to go defend them against lies not that long ago. And the reason why is because there's somebody else in the area that's jealous of this person. Because they ha- because that person has status, he was able to go and spread his lies about my friend to authority figures. And they, of course they believe him because he has status. It, the truth doesn't matter. And so I had to sit in there and defend my friend. See, there's political maneuvers. When there's one minister that's jealous of another trying to to do things that will discredit and tear down their ministry so they can lift up their own. That's witchcraft. You're manipulating and you're controlling. If I if I could even begin to express to you how common this stuff is, you have no idea. When I was in Bible school, that's pretty much all I ever saw. And I pulled out of it on purpose. I mean, I got my degree, but I pulled back from a lot of things I was around. God had mightily touched my life. I was interested in prayer. I was interested in soul winning. And people around me were interested in politically who they could kiss up to and meet to climb their ladder of success. And they, these are what Bible school students are learning in, a lot of times, you know. And they, and they come out wanting to meet the right people and, and make political alliances for themselves. Doesn't that sound like the scripture says, all seek their own, not the interest of the Lord? Shouldn't it be about the kingdom of God? That even though, you know, we may go out and do something and another ministry grows or has great wealth come in or whatever, we should rejoice that the kingdom of God is blessed and that people are being blessed. I'm telling you this stuff because the Lord sees it and he's grieved and he's about to come and deal with it in this area. It's already begun. So dealing with coming to a manger. See, the Lord spoke to me back in 2006. There was a a movement here where a lot of people were coming together to pray and fast. Some of you guys remember that. It was a good thing. But I knew in my spirit I could tell that there was a lot of things that weren't right. Just in general. People that were involved. And I knew in my spirit things were not right at all. See, you know what most people are into? Most people are into the smoke and the lights. They're into charismatic personalities. I could name names right now of people that I know that because of idols that are in them, they have forgot all about the most important things and they've gone whoring after buildings, a, a, a big name. I could name names. When did it stop being about His presence with some people? 
When did it stop being about soul winning? When did it stop being about the kingdom of God? And it start being about what I can get out of it. But the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm coming again to a manger. In other words, he was saying, I'm not in that anymore. That big stuff. Because I remember, I felt very grieved in my spirit the way... I'm not saying anything about the specific people in leadership or nothing like that at all. I believe they were very sincere. I'm talking about the collective whole of all the different people that were involved. I was right in the middle of it. And I felt that there was so much competition. There there was so much backstabbing. There was so much gossip. There was so much junk that was going on. The Holy Spirit was grieved. It didn't even come close to becoming what it should have been because of all the junk. And And I was grieved in my spirit. And the Lord wakes me up in the middle of the night and says, I'm coming again to a manger. In other words, I don't know when this will change, but the Lord was saying, I'm not moving in this stuff right now, This big, st- all this hype. I'm not in the hype. You're going to find me in a lowly place. And so I made up my mind. Come hell or high water, whether I misunderstood or what, I don't really care. I'm going to find Him. That's what I was at. Other people say, well, what about this? You know, if you want that, whatever your that is, go get your that. Okay, I want to be where he is. Okay, and I'm serious. People have the thing they want. They they want their their name and lights. They want the big, you know. But God's not always in that. He's not always in the big. In fact, a lot of times he's not. So what I believe that God is doing is this. I believe over the last couple years, God has been watching this area, and He's seeing people. That will humble themselves down and seek Him. What does the Bible say? If my people will what? Humble themselves. Which by the way next week I'm going to preach a part two about this. I'm going to deal with revival. But if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek what? My face. Then I'll hear from heaven and heal the land. The Lord is looking for a group of people. And it doesn't, historically speaking it don't have to be a lot. He's looking for a group of people that will humble themselves and pray and seek Him. Seek His face. Seek to be with Him. And I'm telling you that God, people don't realize that they're going and they're whoring after all their little idols that are in them. They're going after with all their heart. Okay. But they are actually disqualifying themselves from being used in the coming revival. But those that will humble themselves and find Him in the manger, the, see the Lord said the wise will seek and find me. It's the wise. Those that will humble themselves and seek Him in that lowly place, that humble place, and be willing to be persecuted for it. Misunderstood, people make fun, they don't understand, they think you're an idiot. But here you are going after God. When it comes time, you hear me? When it comes time for this area to become a hub of revival, the building is coming down. People that have made their structure religious witchcraft, they're going to come down, they're going to be pulled down with it. And there's going to be other people that have sought the Lord in the secret place that are going to be thrust up in the revival. Mark my words, it's coming. I don't know when. I don't know if it'll be next year. I don't know if it'll be five years. I don't know, but I know that this has already begun. Just as much as I'm standing here, this has already begun. It's already set in motion. And the window of repentance, that space to repent, is almost completely shut. And people are going to start being exposed. People that are that are doing things, just like that guy that was trying to tear down my friend with lies. It's kind of like this town isn't big enough for the both of us. 
So I'm going to go above your head to this authority figure and I'm going to slander you and discredit and tear down your ministry so mine will be exalted. I'll be the golden boy of this religious system over here. And that's exactly what he's doing. Those type of people, they're coming down. But those that will humble themselves and seek the Lord, they're going to be brought up in the revival. Watch it. It'll happen. Because God will not be mocked. They may get away with it with their little religious circles. But Jesus sees it and He's not fooled. It's already set in motion, I'm telling you. And this 40-day fast, we're, I'm going to talk about the end of this, but this 40-day fast, we're going to go on with other churches. I'm believing for God to really take some ground in this area. And there's prophecies that I'm about to read to you here in a minute. Anyway, how does Satan's kingdom capture his victims into this system? Let me warn you. Watch out for offense. Don't get offended. Don't get offended. Just like when I sat in there and had to defend my friend, it was hard for me to not get offended with some of those people. How many knows that wisdom will guide you? Discretion will keep you. Because I wanted to say some things. I wanted to pop off and say some things. And in my flesh, it was like, mm, I'm biting my lip and just kind of sitting there. But don't get offended. When I left there, I had to go in my car and I had to pray. I said, Lord, I choose right now to forgive those people. I don't agree with them, but I'm going to forgive and let it go, and I let it go. When I was talking to those people at, at Brownsville, when we went there last summer, and I was talking to some of those precious altar workers, one of the main things that that woman told me was, she said, yeah, you've got to forgive people immediately. You've got to keep a pure flow in your life. You can't let unforgiveness in. But see, once you, get, you allow yourself to get offended, that's the bait. And if you don't let it go quick, it's like there's a snap, a trap that will snap around you. And the enemy's got you. That's the bait. The second thing is, ignorance is not bliss. Please hear me. I heard one person tell another one time, if ignorance is bliss, you're in heaven. You ever heard that? Yeah. But ignorance, when it comes to spiritual things, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is your enemy. Let me tell you why a lot of people will be sucked into this. is because they're clueless. They're clueless. They don't have a clue about spiritual warfare. They don't have one clue about what God is doing in Dallas and what He's planning to do. They don't have a clue. They don't have a clue there's a coming revival. They don't have a clue Dallas is going to be the hub. They don't have a clue that there's a principality over this area. They have no idea that there's a stronghold of religious witchcraft. And because they're completely ignorant and oblivious, by default, they seem to get sucked right into it. The Bible says to not be ignorant of the devil's devices. Number three, a lack of discernment is deadly. We've got to have discernment. You know, we sing that song, and I read the scripture to base for it about... You know, um, rub salve in your eyes so that you can see. Listen, we've got to have the Lord anoint our eyes to be able to see. We've got to be able to see. And here's the last two things I'll tell you. Watch out for being fearful or suspicious. You know, going around being real fearful and real suspicious of everybody and everything is actually not discernment at all. It's, 
It's a counterfeit discernment and, and it will play into the devil's plan. True discernment comes, Hebrews talks about, by constant use, you have trained your inner senses to discern good from evil. You have used the gifting that's in you. You've, you've constantly spent time in prayer. You, you, you've developed your prayer language. You're, the Lord anoints your eyes and you're able to see and perceive what's going on behind the scenes. You've got to develop that. We all should have some level of discernment. What discernment is, is your inner man, your spirit man, has eyes and ears. And just like your physical body. There's times that I have literally smelt something that was demonic. And I was like, and what is it? And you could tell that it was demonic. It was a spiritual thing. Demons stink, friend. They don't smell good. I'm telling you. Now, you may not always, you may not always smell something. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying there's been times I did. There's also been times that I saw things or I, I heard something and, I, and I, could, I could tell this is not of God. There's something of the devil. And you have to develop that inner sense. And some people, and I encourage you to pray for this, some people have the gift of discerning of spirits. And when you have that gift in you, then the Holy Spirit can very easily turn that gift on and show you. And you'll know quick. And it just so happens that that God has allowed me, probably because of the deliverance ministry, to have that gifting. And you can just tell. You can just tell. It just I don't know how to explain it, but let the Lord develop in you discernment. Another thing to watch out for is being critical and cynical of everything. Some people have this critical and cynical attitude. How many knows that being cynical is not of God? You're sitting around, oh, well, we'll see. You ever been around cynical people? They're always like, well, I'll believe it when I see it type of attitude. Oh, yeah, they're, they're all a bunch of loons. And, I, you know, I just, and they have this real cynical, negative attitude about everything. That is not from God. That's not true discernment. And if you're not careful, you'll totally miss the move of God. Being fearful and suspicious or being critical and cynical will actually play into the devil's purposes. That's not true discernment. I made up my mind a long time ago, back in 2006 when God spoke to me. I was around a lot of um, well-known ministries and different things, and, and I believe many of them are very sincere, good people. But I made up my mind after the Lord spoke to me. He said, you'll find me in the manger. Okay, I made up my mind that I was going after Him. I didn't care anymore. It's not, listen, what it, you have to guard your heart because what are the motives? Anything that you're doing for your own selfish gain, your own selfish ambition, I don't care what it is, that is an impure motive. You have to be very careful because the Bible says on Judgment Day in the book of Corinthians, Paul talked about all of our works being judged with fire. We're going to stand before the Lord. You're going to stand before the Lord by yourself. I'm going to stand before the Lord by myself. Everything that people did in the ministry or in the service to the Lord, whatever they did, everything that they did for their own glory, for their own praise, for their name to be exalted, for people to notice them, to get the pat on the back or the applause, everything that they did for their own selfish advancement, selfish ambition to climb the political ladder, 
They stepped on people to get ahead. All of that. When they stand before the Lord on judgment day, everything that they did for money, everything they did for the wrong reasons, they're going to stand before it. And all their works are going to be right there in front of them on an altar. And everything that was impure is going to be wood, hay, and stubble. And it's going to be burned up in the fire. And it's just going to be a pile of ashes. Everything that they did for the right reasons, they did it for the Lord's glory. They made it, maybe even was made fun of, but they did it for the Lord's glory. They did everything to, to further the kingdom of God. Not their own personal gain, but the kingdom. They were willing to do things in secret where nobody knew about it. They weren't going to get a pat on the back. They weren't, they weren't going to get an applause. They refused to do things for money. Somebody says, well, I'll pay you so much to come prophesy. And you say, no. I will not prophesy for money. Forget it. Now I'll go there and preach, but don't give me that. I'm not going to do it for money. I'm not for sale. Everything that they did, they didn't do it for money. They didn't do it for their own glory. They did it for the Lord. All of that, when they stand on judgment day, is going to be like gold and, and precious jewels and gems. And when the fire hits it, it's still going to be there. But I'm telling you, there's some people that's been in the ministry 50, 60 years. And they're going to stand on judgment day. And they're all around them is going to be a big pile of ashes. We could be in their shoes. We're no better than them. That's why it's so important that we guard our hearts and we're doing the right things for the right reasons. It's not about what I can get out of it. It's about is Jesus going to be glorified? Is the kingdom going to go forward? Are people going to be getting saved? What about His presence? Those are the things that are important to the Lord. See, the Scripture says all seek their own interest, not the Lord. What is the Lord's interest? So that, that would be a good thing to establish. What is, what is important to Jesus? What is important to Jesus is that He did not die in vain that people are getting saved. Number one, I would say souls is on the top of the list. Number two is that the church is a house of prayer because He said that's what it's supposed to be. What else is important to Jesus? That we are about His presence, not about the decor. Who cares about the decor? I remember hearing a great revivalist say this. He said, I would rather look like a complete fool in the eyes of my peers as long as I could be embraced in the arms of the Lord. It needs to be about the right things. Just like, for example, when we mobilize this corporate prayer, it has nothing to do with what anybody's going to get out of it. You know what? We're there to minister to Jesus. And the outworking of our prayer will be people will be getting saved because we ask the Lord for souls and He's going to respond. And, and God will visit that place and He'll minister to people. That's what's important to Him. What's important to Jesus is people getting ministry. Jesus came... To, to save the lost and to minister to hurting people. That's really what it's about. And you've got to keep it about that. If it becomes about building my own little kingdom, then it's, it becomes deadly. Now I'm going to tell you, we've got to search ourselves for any idols within us. Because the idols that are in you, if you don't deal with those idols, they're there 
and God sees them and the devil sees them. And over time, the enemy will assign something that will keep touching on that idol. And pretty soon, that's why you see some people get goofy. You're going, how is it that you started with such a great anointing? And now you can't even open your mouth on TV without trying to get money out of people. And there's no anointing. What happens? Where did you get so far off? That every scripture in the whole entire Bible has to do with money. How did that happen to you? Who bewitched you? Who bought you? Who pulled you off to the side and seduced you into that? Some start strong, but they finish foolishly. I would rather start bad and finish good. Real quick, David, when David came to power, it's a really interesting story. Because David had actually gotten at a low point. A lot of people don't know this. He had gotten at a low point in his life. He had been out there wandering those caves for a long time. And he got discouraged. And a lot of people have never even thought about this or even read it. But there was a time in David's life right before he went to the throne. He was right at the end of the cave dwelling times that he had gotten so discouraged about the call on his life not being fulfilled that he actually started marching with the Philistine army. This was the same Philistine army that attacked Saul and Jonathan and Saul and them ended up dying. He was marching with them. What was David thinking, man? He was marching with the enemy. But he had gotten so discouraged. And when he came to his senses and he got out of that, the Philistines rejected him, obviously. But when he got out of that army and went back, Ziklag had happened. The Amalekites had come in. And you remember me preaching on this. They plundered plundered everything. They took all their wives and children and all their goods. The men were weeping. They were talking of stoning David. How many knows right before you enter your, your inheritance, things get intense? In David's life, it got very intense. He, he marched with the enemy. He just happened, you know, had this devastation at Ziklag. But he sought the Lord, and the Lord said, Go, you'll recover everything. You know the story. He went and found them, recovered everything, okay? Then the Philistines had attacked Israel, and Saul and Jonathan died. Somebody had brought David the crown. Now, Samuel, who was the authority, had anointed David and said, You are going to be king. The people knew that. So here God is doing a new thing. Saul has been dethroned. His kingdom has been pulled away from him. Remember, Samuel told him the kingdom is no longer yours. It's given to another who has a heart after God. So now the time for change is at hand. David is rising to power. The children of Israel anoint him. The elders pour oil over him. They accept him as their king. But Saul's family would not have it. They said, they, they said to themselves, David is doing this illegitimately. A man by the name of Ishbosheth, he is the rightful king. He's Saul's son. And they put him in authority. They put him as the king. Now here's the problem. You have Saul's house and David's house at war now. And the people should have just simply went with what God was doing. Are you hearing me? God was moving with David. It was God's will for David to be king. But Saul's family would not have it and they fought and they fought and you know what they many of them be either died or something happened where god had to set his hand against that family because they refused to 
move with what God was doing. They were resisting God. And David became more and more powerful and they became more and more weak until David fully inherited the throne. Now, this is why I'm telling you this. In the coming days, over the next several years, I don't know a time frame, but this religious witchcraft is going to be broken. And there's people that have based their whole life and ministry on political alliances, on religion, on control, all the things you shouldn't do. And they're going to, they're going to lose out. They're going to be pulled down, but they're going to go fighting. And they're going to go fighting those that God's raising up. Are you hearing me? They're not going to go without a fight. They're going to attack those that God is raising up. The Davids that are coming out of the caves. The Davids that are being raised up to be leaders in the revival. This old Saul generation that doesn't want to move with God are going to persecute it. They're going to fight it tooth and nail. But God will be with the Davids and they will still prevail, still see revival, and and God will have to set his hand against what these others are doing. But how many knows we just need to move with God? You know, I remember like, for example, when the Brownsville revival broke out, it happened to break out, and I believe it had a lot to do with John Kilpatrick, but it happened to break out in Assembly God Church, but there were people that just flat refused to support it because it was Assembly God. I don't care nothing about the Assembly of God or any other denomination for that matter. I really don't. I don't care about denominations at all. They're all man-made. Doesn't mean a thing to me. But the last thing I'm going to do is resist a move of God just because it's a particular denomination. Are you hearing me? Who cares what denominate, what church, what the name of the church is? Who cares if God chose to show up there? Then we should respect them. And we should be willing to go there. And receive from what God's doing. And honor what He's doing. Another story is Elijah and Jezebel. We tell you when the Jezebel came into power. Her, her husband Ahab. They came into power. It was like a spiritual virus. Like a plague spiritually. Had literally worked its way throughout the entire nation. You're looking at a nation of millions of people. And God Himself said... I only have 7,000 that are mine. Do you you realize how small that is? A lot of people think, oh, 7,000 is a lot of people. It's not a lot of people when there's millions in the nation, friend. So there's 7,000 that that God said were still mine that have not bowed their knee to Baal. But it took from the days of Elijah, Elijah had to anoint Elisha and be gone, but it took from those days... All the way till the time that Athaliah was killed by the priest for that thing to finally be completely worked out of God's people and destroyed. That thing had gotten such a stronghold in the nation of Israel. It had infiltrated so much of Israel that there were only 7,000 people that were faithful to God and all the leadership had to be dethroned completely and replaced. Elijah himself had to slaughter all these prophets. Then he passed the baton to Elisha and Jehu. Jehu went and had Jezebel thrown out a window. And then he also killed Ahab and his sons. Then there was a whole other group of the priests that had to go in and kill Athaliah because she was killing all of David's descendants so that she could keep her power. She was so bent on having that power of that throne she was willing to kill every single one of King David's descendants to keep it. But a priest had hidden one of them, and they had to go in there and kill her. So you see, 
the prophets, the king, and the priesthood, all of them having to collaborate under a mighty anointing to defeat this Jezebel spirit in that nation, and it took a long time. And I'm going to tell you, in this area, there's an inundated religious witchcraft that's been here for a long time. A lot of people don't even realize what spirit they're of. You remember when Jesus came out of, the, of one town and they were rejecting and the disciples said, Jesus, just call down fire from heaven and fry them. Remember that? Now, this was a legitimate request because they knew the Old Testament. And they knew that Elijah set up on a mountain one time. And these band of men came to arrest him and Elijah said, if I'm a prophet of God, fire is going to come down and fry you, buddy. They're fried. And then another group comes and Elijah says the same thing. He says, if I'm really a man of God, fire is about to fry you. And the third group that came, the leader like crawled up to Elijah and said, look, have mercy, man. I am here on orders. I have to be here. you know." And so Elijah didn't fry him. So they knew, they knew the Bible and they knew that asking Jesus to fry these people was not something that God had never done before. Okay? And so Jesus responded to him, though, and said this. He said, you don't realize what spirit you're of. Remember? He said, I came to seek and save the lost. I didn't come here to fry people. And so they, had to, they didn't realize what spirit they were of. There's people in this region that don't realize what spirit they're of. They're not of the Holy Spirit. They're listening to something that's wrapped around them and whispering in their ear, and they're listening to it, and they think it's the Holy Ghost, and it's not. It's a spirit of religion and witchcraft. And it concerns me because it's just like in the days of Jezebel, it may take some time, a mighty anointing, and a collaboration between prophets and apostles, okay, different people of authority take collaboration for a period of time to really see this thing dethroned and pulled out by the roots out of this area. And let me tell you, denominations by and large... There's certain things that they really hate. One thing that denominations really, really hate is they hate apostles and prophets. Can't stand it. And what they do is they vote. Somebody show me that in the Bible. I'm not trying to be mean. That is, you talk about nowhere, okay? There ain't no voting in the Bible. God says this is how it's going to be. It's supposed to be a theocracy, not a democracy. So anyway, they vote people into positions. It's a political thing. It's campaigning. You know, and then whenever they get voted into some position, then they go around saying, I'm an apostle. Because I have this authority over this region. They're not they're no apostle. But they they have man man's authority. Man has raised them up. And so the, the way denominations are doing it is this. They, they don't want to come across like they totally hate apostles and prophets because they know the Bible talks about these things. So they make up their own. Oh, that was good. But you can't make up your own apostles and prophets. It don't work that way. You can't vote somebody in and go, oh, you know, we will lay hands on him and he will become an apostle. It doesn't work like that. You're either called to be one or you're not. But they can't stand true apostles and prophets. 
most denominations, and I'm not totally against denominations or anything like that, but just get real clear that it's man-made. It's not God's government. It's man's government. I'm not totally against it because I realize that God can use it, but it is man's government. God's government is, is based on true apostles and prophets and true pastors, and they collaborate. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual kingdom with spiritual authority. Does this make sense? So anyway, and also a lot of denominations can't stand revival. They cannot stand a true move of God. They might accept some moves of God if it happens within their denomination, but by and large they cannot stand most moves of God. Why is all this the case? Because moves of God cannot be controlled by them. True apostles and prophets cannot be controlled by them. They can't be bought. They can't be manipulated. They can't be intimidated. And they're not going to submit to their little pet doctrines. And so they're threatened by them. Y'all seen the parallel? David had to come to power, but Saul's family fought it. There's going to be people that are God's raising up, but there's others that are going to fight it. Just like in the days of Elijah, it took a long time to really weed out all that Jezebel's influence out of that nation. It may take some time to really get all this rooted out. So let me encourage you to seek righteousness and humility. Amen? Seek righteousness and humility. Seek the lowest place and let the Lord raise you up. Don't seek power and position. That's the problem. A lot of people are trying to seek power and position. They're trying to raise themselves up. Oh, if I can just meet so-and-so. If I can just do this or that, you know, it'll, it'll be good for my ministry. It'll be good for my name. And I can... All of that is political. The, you know, you talk about what does water do? Water finds the lowest place and settles. You need to be like water and just humble yourself down. And let the Lord do the raising up. Seek unity among God's people. Don't allow anything to divide. That's why I don't care much for denominational circles because I'm not into dividing up God's people. Well, you're this denomination. You're this. None of that matters. How many knows when we die, you know, the denominational tag is either going to fall off when you go up or it's going to burn off when you go down. But it's not going to be there. When you get to heaven, it's not like there's the, the church of God crowd over here. Then there's the assembly of God over here. Then there's the Baptists, they're over there. It's not going to be like that. It's All of it is, you're either you're God's child or you wouldn't be there. One of the things that God's going to do in these, these revivals that's been so powerful is all the denominational walls have come down in revival. All the racial walls have come down. All these things that have divided up God's people, God's pulling those things down and unifying His people. And Jesus prayed in John 17 that we might be one as Him and the Father are one. And as becoming one, that we would share in His glory. Jesus, that was one of the greatest things on Jesus' heart. Now, if you were about to die and you knew it, you are about to go to the cross and you knew it, don't you think that one of the last things you'd pray would be something to be really significant in your heart? You know what the one of the last things Jesus prayed was? That we would be one. That we'd be unified. It's important to him. And some of these churches that we're working with, for example, with this prayer and fasting endeavor, different denominations. 
But that hadn't even crossed my mind until now because I'm preaching on it. Because it doesn't mean anything. But God's wanting to unify His people. Amen? Another thing is to seek to help others in the kingdom. You know, it should be that we are helping other ministries. Did you know that some people's mentality is competition? They come into an area and they go, well, how can I compete with all these other ministries? And in their heart, they would be happy if something bad happened in these other ministries, so they go down and they themselves can somehow be exalted. That is wicked. It's demonic and it's religious witchcraft. We, we're, how many, we're supposed to be on the same team. You know what I see? I see sometimes as I think about this, like these battleships. Picture all these battleships on the same side going to war. And then all of a sudden one battleship turns and shoots a torpedo at their neighbor. And they're sitting here looking at the radar going, have you lost your mind? And then they're like, well, fire back, you know, and then they turn and start shooting. And and it's like the devil just sits back and just laughs. The devil's like, I don't even have to do anything. The devil's like, takes his sword and goes, I don't even need this. Let me just clean this off. Just put this right back in the sheet. They're doing a pretty good job of self-destructing like a bunch of imbeciles over there. And while all this ignorance is going on, there's people by the thousands that are going to hell. Some churches, and it's the pastor's fault, and I'll be happy to tell them that if they ask me, they put up with stuff. Some churches that a pastor will, all he'll do, his job description has become going behind this little old bitty that's a gossip and going behind her and putting out every fire she starts. And that's what his job description now is because that's all he has time for. She's stirring up one problem. He runs over and fixes that. And she's already working on two or three more. Get some advice. Get rid of the old bitty. And have revival. Man. Anyway. And seek personal integrity. Let me tell you this too. And I'm going to start closing this down. I'm going to read a couple prophecies. Please hear me on this. This is important. Now, please hear my heart. I'm saying this with love and respect. I don't mean this in any way negative toward anybody here especially. But I honestly do not wake up in the morning and care if you think I'm righteous. Now, hear my heart about it. Do you care if I think? What matters is, what does the Lord say about me? You see what I'm saying? It really doesn't matter to me when I hit my bed and not my head hits my pillow. I'm not sitting there going, man, I hope everybody thinks that I'm a good person and I hope they think I'm right. I don't care nothing about any of that. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus sees in secret. And He rewards openly what goes on in secret. And we should be living in secret when nobody else is looking for the Lord. That is what's important. That's what's important to Jesus. Is that He knows that you could probably get away with something. And He's watching. And He knows that you probably could get away with it. And you know it in your mind that you could. But you choose that in secret and in private, when nobody else knows about it, that, Lord, I love you enough that I'm just not going there. That's what matters to Jesus. I'm talking about things that are important to Jesus. Is it okay I close out reading you a couple prophecies? Because I believe this is right here. It's about what... All right, I heard Pastor Kilpatrick prophesy this. I believe it was in 2012. This is what he said. He said prophetically, Satan has had structures, these are strongholds, okay, structures that demons have worked through, 
they've trafficked through, they've worked through, resisting God's people with sickness, controversy, betrayals, setbacks. But God is releasing His angels to dismantle these structures. See, that is what I'm talking about. I really believe that this structure in this region is going to have to be dealt with before this area becomes a hub of revival. And we're not looking at a really long, far time. I believe revival is already swirling in this nation. It's already sweeping the land. And God is right now already begun to tear down these strongholds. And my advice to people is to humble themselves down to the ground and repent of anything that's there. If there's any religion at all, and if there's anything critical, fault-finding, judgmental, debating, prideful, to really humble yourself and let the Lord get it out. If there's any idols, you need to check yourself. Do I have idols in my heart about money? Do I have idols in my heart about being popular, famous, accepted, or about buildings, or about whatever? Is there anything in me that's corrupt? Because if you don't deal with it, it will come out later. When you come under the squeeze, I've heard the expression that, you know, like you take toothpaste. I mean, if you squeeze that thing, what's in there is coming out. And when the devil starts putting the squeeze on people, if they don't deal with these idols, it will come out. All right, here's the last prophecy. Dennis Kramer actually spoke this years ago. But Pastor Kilpatrick has been going throughout this nation reading this over and over and over. Because he senses in his spirit something's up with it. Okay, And I'm going to read this to you, but this is what, when we do the 40 days, this is what I'm contending for, are these prophecies being fulfilled. The, the angels are dismantling structures, and then this prophecy. Aren't you ready? This is what it says, and I believe this for Dallas. Literally, right now, as you read this prophetic declaration, God is at work in your life vindicating you. He is busy behind the scenes working on your behalf. A new seven-year period of great spiritual release is upon you. Your years of persecution and suffering for His namesake are about to pay off. The past seven years have marked the end of a brutal spiritual season for many. At first, I did not discern the, this or the magnitude of this supernatural season we're now experiencing, but I now believe it was and is a truly awesome church-wide go-to-the-next-level no, go unprecedented supernatural shift one supernatural season has ended in a distinctly new and better spirit supernatural season it has begun. Now talking about wounded soldiers. See, this is where religious witchcraft comes in. It tears down and wounds people that are right with God and it promotes those that operate in that religious witchcraft. Please get that. Those that are right with God will, will be persecuted and driven out they're persecuted. They're wounded. They're betrayed. But those that are not right with God, they seem to have advancement, but it's an advancement based on this religious system, not from the Lord. Okay? So God's wounded soldiers are those that have been victims of this religious witchcraft. Now listen, unnoticed by most, the Holy Spirit has begun to move around mid-January, setting off a chain of reaction a chain reaction of spiritual events for all those that have endured hardship as a soldier of Jesus Christ. If you've been enduring hardship, if you've been wounded, especially by friendly fire, this new season is just for you. You're about to be healed. 
in a word, this season is all about vindication. It's not about you exacting vengeance or getting even, not at all. Instead, it's about vindication from God. For the past seven years, you've endured suffering as his faithful soldier. And he talks about not guilty. Yes, you are about to be rewarded. The truth is about to come out. This is what I'm talking about, about God exposing stuff. The truth is going to come out. People that have been liars and manipulators and control freaks and have, and have torn down other people with lies are about to be exposed. Those that have been lied about are about to be exposed as being innocent. You're about to be freed from alleged charges against you. You're about to be absolved and acquitted. The Lord is about to announce over you not guilty. Victims are about to rejoice and accusers are about to be silenced. You are not going to be paroled. You're being acquitted. I believe that countless believers just like you have lived through a seven year period of great personal hardship, especially in the area of damaged or even severed personal and ministry relationships. All this is going to change rapidly. If you've been victimized by sinners or saints, get ready. Your day is at hand. Specifically, if you've been waiting for vindication from past injustices, betrayals and abandonments and subsequent delusionment that it has created. I love this. He wrote Ding Dong, the witch is dead. Here we go. Ready? Frankly... The root problem has been about witchcraft in the church. Okay, let me say that one more time and you can feel free to say amen after that. Here we go. Frankly, the root problem has been about witchcraft in the church. The spirit of witchcraft has decimated and dissected you as finally being exposed. You paid a great price for your integrity, your character, and your honesty. Yes, it has cost you a great deal to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. You may have even experienced many too many to be the bad guy when in fact you were actually the victim of a spiritual crime again all this is going to change the Lord would say to you today that your day of mourning is over your jubilee year is now upon you I have begun your vindication it will come swiftly and let me tell you that's exactly how witchcraft operates it tries to make the victim look like the bad guy it's like the attitude is it was your fault that you backed into my knife That's what they say. It's your fault. You backed into the knife. They try to make they try to twist everything to make the, the victim who sent her being abused look like the bad guy. And then the ones that are actually abusing other people look like little victims. We're we're backstabbing everybody and gossiping and tearing relationships apart and all that, but we have a real good reason and they try to get you to feel sorry for them. It's witchcraft in the church. Ezekiel said it this way, None of my words will be prolonged anymore, but the, word, but the word which I, the Lord, have spoken to you shall be done now. Here's a word for leaders. I declare prophetically that a season of great vindication and long overdue justice for you, especially if you're one of his leaders, is upon you right now. God has already begun the necessary process of vindicating you. You have suffered betrayals, false accusations, broken promises, and abandonment long enough. As a result, you have been disillusioned about your call. Far too long, be encouraged. The Lord is delivering you from the results of past problems, situations, circumstances that have delayed or in some extreme cases actually robbed you of your destiny in God. I hear the Lord saying, all will be as it's supposed to be. There will be no part of your destiny delayed. No part of your destiny denied. Is there anything too hard for me? Vindication, vindication, vindication. Indeed, vindication is the word for now. I hear in my spirit loud and clear to you, all of his wonderful wounded warriors, to all who have suffered abuse at the hands of others, the Lord will comfort you with these words in this season. I am vindicating you now. You will be exonerated. 
You are about to experience true justice now, power, gifting, and authority. You are about to experience the promotion in God that you've awaited patiently for. The seven years of ex- There's a seven years of explosive increase of power, gifting, and authority that is yours for the taking. Indeed, you're about to go to the next level. The promises of God in your life are about to be wonderfully and powerfully fulfilled very quickly. Now, it talks about your response. You have ears to hear that there's going to be people coming to you. No doubt you'll be asked by God to participate in this healing and restoration of former broken relationships, especially with Christians. Please do so graciously and humbly, just as Christ would. Say yes to any and all who come to you looking to be reconciled. I predict that people saved and unsaved from your past will soon visit you. They'll come with olive branches in their hands looking to establish peace with you. And I urge you to accept their offering and participate enthusiastically in the peace process. God's part during this next seven-year season will be to vindicate you. All right, I'm going to stop there. Amen. That's a good word, ain't it? All right. That's what I'm contending for in this next season. I really believe in my heart. And Pastor Kilpatrick's going all over this nation. He's reading this word. He's speaking it out because he feels something in his spirit about this. I believe that this structure coming down has everything to do with this. But I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this. I want everybody to please hear me. What is it that you're after in your heart? I want you to hear me. Especially those that are calling to the ministry. What is in your heart that you're really after? And you need to be brutally honest with yourself because the Bible says the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. And and a lot of times we can even deceive our own selves. But be brutally honest with yourself. Are you about the smoke and lights, the charisma? Are you about the money? Are you about the buildings? Are you about how many butts are in a seat? It's okay, I'll just be blunt. Are you about things like that? Are you into politics? Do you, do you want to meet certain people for your advancement? Are you into these things? Is this something that's in you? Or has God been able to root all that out of you? And really the only thing that matters to you anymore is just Jesus being glorified. That's, it. that's all that matters. Be brutally honest with yourself. Because this is the season right now to humble yourself down to the ground. Does it bother you? Whenever you you look up and there's not a lot of people right now, does that bother you? Because it shouldn't bother you. Because the Lord has come just like He said to a manger. Does it bother you? Does it bother you that, that things are a certain way right now? Because if it does bother you, that means there's probably something in you that's an idol that God needs to get out of you. This season, and I know other people that are in the same season, This season is all about humbling yourself and seeking Him. And in due time, He's going to raise certain people up and He's going to pull others down. But it all is based on the motives of your heart. Is your heart after Him or is it after other things? Because the Lord knows the heart. And it will come out. There's people that march faithfully with me for a short time. But then, whenever things took longer than they wanted have gone whoring after their idols that were in them that they never dealt with. Chasing after other things. The money the ministry offers, or or buildings, or a reputation, or political alliances. I don't know. Only God knows all this there, but I'm just saying that all of a sudden, His presence and Him and Him being glorified and the souls being saved and, and, and prayer, none of that seemed to matter anymore. It's now about other things with them. What about you? Because if you don't deal with it, there'll come a time. 
that it will come up eventually. See, a lot of times God keeps people in a holding pattern until they really deal with the stuff deep down in them. And then once it's really crucified and dead and it's really dealt with, then he'll promote them. I love that I read that actually in Lyndall Cooley's book. He was talking about that. For those that read that book, A Touch of Glory, he was talking about how God had to really get out of him a lot of the attitudes that he had and root all that out of him so God could use him. So when the Lord says, I'm coming again to a manger and the wise will seek me, is that something you're comfortable with or is that something that bothers you? Like, I don't really want to seek the Lord. I don't like this smelly, small little manger in obscurity. I want to be somebody. I want people to see me. You see what I'm saying? Do you have that attitude? I want to be somebody. I want people to see me. I want people to acknowledge me and notice me. Or is it about Him being glorified? Him being the focus of attention. It should be about the Lord being the focus of attention and, and, and Him getting all the glory. You'd be surprised how many people have gotten off course. They started good, but now they're way off in these areas. So here's what I want to close with actually is this. A call to prayer fasting unifying God's people. I want to really go after God this coming year. And I need y'all's support. I don't know. You know, when you deal with other churches, I, I don't know how many, how many is going to be supportive. Because I've tried to do this over the, several years. I've tried to unite ministries and and the mentality of some people is, well, what are we going to get out of it? And what are we going to benefit from? I remember one time, even when I was working in conjunction, this is this was several years ago, I was working totally 100% in conjunction with Heartland and other well-known ministries, and they were endorsing everything. And did you know that we could not get one single church to support the prayer? We wanted to do corporate prayer in this area. We could not get one, not one. Not one pastor would come on board to pray. The mentality was, well, what are we going to get out of it? You're not going to get anything out of it. And it made me mad because I was thinking, I'm footing the bill. I'll pay for it. I'll get the facility. I'll be responsible to put on the worship. I'll do All you got to do, man, is just show up. That's all you got to do. And they couldn't even do that. And you wonder why revival hasn't broke out in this whole region. You can't even get pastors to do the right thing. That's not hard. And I remember getting frustrated with him. Remember me talking earlier about offense? You have to go to your car and you have to say, oh, Lord, I forgive them. I'll let it go. You know, I'm not going to get bitter about this. I'm going to keep praying. And I made up my mind. I made up my mind. I was like, you know what? I don't care if they're going to... They don't. They obviously don't care about winning souls. They obviously don't care about prayer. Fine. Then we're going to get out there and win souls. And that's why I made up my mind. I don't care if there's two people. Y'all get out there and win souls. And I don't care if you don't win a soul. We're going to keep going out there. And, and I say, if nobody else is going to pray, we're going to pray. And we've had a prayer meeting ever since then, and we're not going to stop. And it, it doesn't matter to me anymore if people are going to support it or not. Because eventually what's going to happen is, is this structure is coming down. And, God's going to, and it's going to create a tsunami, and there's going to be a mighty wave. I'm telling you, it's coming. Mark my words. This is one of those that you can write. Feel free to write this somewhere that, that you're going to be able to look back on. You know what I'm saying? And really write this one down. Revival is coming to Dallas. And God is cleaning house now to prepare for it down the road. And I want to be on the right side of things. I want to be humble. And I want to repent of anything I need to. Get the idols out and be ready when he shows up. You see, 
You know, you, you remember the story of Jesus. A lot of people don't realize it, but he made the whip and he spanked a bunch of people first. Drove them out first, and then you read about healings and miracles in the temple. See, the Lord's about to come with his whip. First, and I'm telling you, it's already begun. And there's some people that are about to get a spanking. And it's not going to be fun. Just mark my word. Jesus is about to spank them good. They're going to regret the religious witchcraft. They're going to be exposed for being a liar and a manipulator. Publicly. Alright. But I want you guys to be with me on this prayer and fasting. We're going to do everything we can to unify churches in prayer and fasting. And I believe in God for these prophecies to be fulfilled in Dallas. I'm believing God for an increase of anointing and glory in the churches involved. I'm believing God for effective doors and a great harvest of souls. I'm believing God for healing and wholeness in people's lives. Because people still need some ministry personally. I'm believing God for jubilee in churches that are involved. And I'm believing God for revival to break out in the next generation through the outcries that Pentecost and revival will pass to the next generation. So, I remember, let me say this and then we'll pray. Remember, remember when Mika's parents came? I mean, you guys were here for that. All right. They came, and I remember just, you know, they were so humble and so sweet. They had some of the nicest people. I don't know if you guys remember. They were just so sweet. But I remember Pekka was there. You know, when you're in the midst of things, you don't realize a lot because you just, day in and day out, we're just doing what we do, okay? But I remember Pekka, his father, came to me and told me later, he said this. He said, you know what I noticed about your prayer meeting? I said, well, you know what? He said, two things. He said, God's presence, but he said also... Everything that y'all are praying about, he said, is about the kingdom. He said, when we've had... Now, this is past tense. He said, when we've had prayer meetings in Finland, he said, you, you hear everybody's business. Oh, Lord, you know, save my lost uncle. And it's like everything's just about their personal life. You know, stuff they're going through. I need a job and I, I need a financial miracle. He said, when we come together, we're praying about all those things. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying, he said, well, you guys are praying about the kingdom. You're praying about laborers being raised up. You're praying about souls coming into the kingdom and about the kingdom of God advancing. And he really, he said it really touched him. And so that's what it needs to be about. It doesn't need to get off course. I mean, know some prayer meetings, how many guys have been a part of prayer meetings that really was just a gossip fest? I've been, some of y'all have been around old, old Pentecostal circles. Here's what happens. Now, some off night when nobody comes, except a few old ladies anyway, but they sit around and, did you hear about brother so-and-so? And we sure need to pray for him. And, and they're, all, they're doing, all they're doing is gossiping. You don't feel the anointing there. I can just hear the Holy Spirit saying, shut up. They're going to sit there and gossip all, all like that, sin like nobody's business, and then they're going to pray, oh, dear Jesus. I can just see Jesus going, man, come on. All right. How good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down the collar. It's like the dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion. The oil flows in unity. So, Lord, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your word tonight. And, Lord, I pray that if there's anything in us that, that in any way has compromised or aligned itself with religion or witchcraft, if there's any pride in people, 
that they've been so focused on other things they, they, they feel like that they just need to be a part of things that are big and charismatic and smoke and lights and it really bothers them that things aren't that way or that that's pride and it needs to be out of us it's idols and I'm asking you Lord to, to pull that out of us forgive us Lord if there's been any religion where there's been criticisms and fault finding and, and judging other people and debating Lord if there's been any, any type of witchcraft where there's been ungodly control that's been exerted. Forgive us, Lord, if there's been politics or anything like that at all. It's been about selfish ambition, how we can get ahead, how we can benefit our own interests. It shouldn't be about these things, Jesus. It's your kingdom. It should be about you and you being glorified and your kingdom moving forward. It doesn't matter if we do something that really you know, blesses another ministry or another church or whatever. We should rejoice in that. That the kingdom of God is advancing. We're not here to compete with other people. We're all on the same team. And Lord, forgive us if there's been any of that in us at all. We don't want it, Lord. We just want to find you and to be with you. That's what it's about. It's about being with you. And then coming out of that and and seeking the lost to be saved and those that are hurting to be ministered to. That's what you're into, Jesus. That's what's important to you. And Lord, help us to have personal integrity. It doesn't matter you can come to church. Lord, people can put on a mask. They know how to act. They know the lingo. But behind the scenes, are, you know, what's going on? Are, are, they, are people lying? Are people in, into stuff? Are they into pornography? You know, are they lustful? Lord, I ask you, help us to have personal integrity in private. When nobody's looking, Lord, that we live righteous before you. Because that's all that matters. It does not matter what people say. People can come and falsely accuse us of all kinds of things. It's not going to matter, Jesus. When we stand before you on Judgment Day, the truth will come out. And that's all that matters, that we live for Judgment Day and what you say about us, not what other people say. Lord, help us to have your heart and your mind and to love what you love and hate what you hate. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. I want to share a prophetic word God gave me a little while back. Some of you guys remember this anti-Pentecostal spirit prophecy, remember that? been a while but the lord gave me a message in tongues and interpretation maybe about a year and a half two years ago i feel led to read it here's what it says we recorded this on audio and then i transcribed it as it was a message in tongues and interpretation in september of 2011 for the lord would say to you that the spirit over this region is an anti-pentecostal anti-revival type of spirit You have been tested and tried so that you can endure the persecution that will come. The Lord would say that you need to remain faithful. The Lord is saying the preparation time has been necessary. Because the resistance is not against you. The resistance is against the anointing. It's against Pentecost and the gifts of the Spirit. And more than that, the glory. The enemy is not threatened by you, but he is threatened by the anointing. You have been coming up against an anti-Pentecostal spirit in this region. But the Lord would say to you, remain faithful. I'm opening something up. I have the key of David, says the Lord, and I can open what no man can shut. 
And the Lord would say, because others have been here in the past and have prayed earnestly for this area, it is because of their prayers that I will not let you leave. Because I've heard their prayers and I'm going to send revival to this area. And the Lord would say, I'm opening it up and no man can shut it. It's going to be sovereign and supernatural. The Lord would say that you are only at a level 7 of the increase of anointing. This was back then. There are more increases to come that are significant. Multiplication. And the Lord would say, because there's great resistance, I'm going to give you a great anointing. Because the battle has been fierce, you will be given great glory in your midst. And because of the critics and the anti-Pentecostal people will be there, I will give you signs and wonders which they will not be able to refute. The preparation has been necessary. The shifting has, already, has been necessary. As with Gideon, I need people that are of faith, not fearful. I need a David ministry that will run at the Goliath. The Lord would say that praise and worship is crucial. It will be the window that will bring in the glory. Satan has tried to attack that ministry, but I have supernaturally kept it alive and protected it because it will host my glory. The Lord would say, I've given you a controversial message among these people, a message of repentance among those that live hypocritical and compromising lives. I've given you a message of healing among those that don't believe I move in healing anymore. I've given you a message of deliverance to the religious and a message of the baptism in the Holy Ghost among those that are anti-Pentecostal. But you will have to be strong. I'm going to, to deliver you from the fear of man. I'm going to deliver you from intimidation. I'm going to make your forehead like Ezekiel, that when opposition comes, you will go through it with boldness and courage. For the Lord would say, I'm about, for I am the Lord who walks among the lampstands. From this night forward, I'm opening up a flow of life that is going to begin to move in a way that will strengthen and heal areas the enemy has damaged. One of the things your ministry will be known for is healing. Even though up to this point your ministry has been known for deliverance and revival, your ministry will also be known for healing. And in some ways, the anointing for healing will be so strong that you will be known more for healing than other things. Because the Lord would say, my people are wounded, not just physically, but they are wounded emotionally, psychologically, and they have broken hearts. They have torn up lives. The enemy has taken some of them and ripped them to pieces. But when I bring them in here, the Lord says, I'm going to heal them. All right, tonight's been very prophetic. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to shut down recordings. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pray if anybody wants prayer about anything tonight. But uh, how many knows we need a word like this? Amen. We need to be ready. I want to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying now. I want to know what the Holy Spirit is saying about Dallas.